So good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 8 o'clock service. So much happens automatically, we don't even, uh, my, my phone just advances, is yours? Um, I'm going to date myself here a bit, but um, a number of years ago, our kids were little, and on a Saturday night, I went around the whole house, our, our clock on the stove, and a clock in the, in the kitchen above the sink, and then a clock, I don't know where else it was, we had three or four clocks, an alarm clock, it was mechanical. I turned them all forward, not knowing that, Juan was bathing the kids, and I was doing the pickup, you know, it was tag team wrestling. And then, uh, and then she went around the house and turned everything forward in our, <laughs> not knowing that I turned it forward in our. And we're still married. And she still loves me. So welcome to week number two. This, is, um, this series is called The Big Idea. What's the big idea? And we, we're working our way through the book of Acts and the big idea of what these first believers were like. And it all hinges on one uh, particular point in history. And the point in history is the one of, that's five weeks away for us. It's the season we call Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. Five weeks from today, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we, we call it Easter because it's just a time of life and life everlasting. It proves that Jesus is more powerful than death. Jesus, who lived the perfect life, comes from God the Father through a virgin. She, he grows up uh, totally sin-free. He takes upon himself our sin, although he's never sinned himself. He goes to a criminal's cross. It's over. They bury him because he's dead. Uh, the Roman Empire makes sure they're pros at killing people on, on crosses. And three days later, he's not in the grave. The stone's rolled away. The, the, the guards don't have a story. And the first Christians cannot get over the fact that within days they're eating dinner. They're eating breakfast on the shores of the water. They're eating fish. This is not a ghost who's come back to life. This is a real living flesh and blood guy. He rose from the dead. They can't get over that. And when they believed the message, they all got baptized. And we studied it last week in chapters 1 and 2, that when they believed, they, the outward demonstration of their belief was this, this baptism. It was an inward change of heart. So when Sadiq talks about baptism, this is not something that this church made up or something that we do because it's our custom or our, our denomination. We don't have that. The reason we do it is because Jesus told us to do that. So if you're thinking, oh, I'd like to get baptized, next Sunday, come right down front. We'll give you the orientation materials. We do that because Jesus told us to do it. It's a way of outwardly telling the world, I'm a Christ follower. It identifies with him and identifies not only with Jesus, but it identifies with Jesus' people. And these Jesus' people, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. You can almost see it within their worship. We saw them connect and we saw them grow. We saw them serve one another in love. We saw them share the greatest news in the world. And they would do that. And they would, this group boomed from, from just a dozen to 40 to a few hundred to 3,000 in one day. And, and the big idea of the church is that it's not a building it, it, this assembly is, is not a denomination, it's not a hierarchy, it's not a control power thing. This church is about a person. It's a movement. It's an extraordinary movement. 
spirit-led movement that you cannot fix, uh, uh, box in, fix in, or box in, you can't contain it, because these people cared for people that they didn't even really know. They hardly knew these people from around the world, and yet they were sharing their goods and feeding them, and they were, they were caring, why? Because the Holy Spirit had moved inside their lives because they believed in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that centers all around Jesus. That's the big idea, that the church is a movement with extraordinary momentum, and all that momentum circles around, hovers around the centrality of Jesus. When it, the church doesn't have that centrality on Jesus, it tends to lose steam and go away. And that's what's called a dead church. Anybody been to a dead church? Yeah, anybody driven by a dead church? You know what a dead church is like? Yeah. I've been to uh, several, and I've seen, and there's nothing wrong with a dead church closing its doors and dying. Churches die. That's just the normal life cycle. In fact, that's one of the ways some of you guys stay married. You do know that your, your cells slough off. Every seven years, you have a whole new you. That's how you stay married. The, the one she loves isn't the same one she loved seven years ago. You'd think it'd get better looking, but it doesn't. It just, just doesn't. But it's okay in the life cycle for local churches to come and go. But the larger church, this universal church of Jesus, is is a momentum. It's like a truck that will not slow down. And there's no ramp that can make it slow down. It's got huge momentum. And as long as that momentum stays on Jesus, it's going to stay healthy. It's going to stay vibrant. When it doesn't, it's going to lose steam very fast. So when we ended, it was an angel from heaven who just told the disciples, You've trusted Jesus, and that's good. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to get power, and you're going to be witnesses. So don't just stand there. You go be witnesses. You tell your story. You be a witness. That's what we walked away with last week. Go tell your story. And we're encouraging you to tell your story and write it out. And it might be that you're going to tell your story in a sentence or just in a couple of words, real short words. You're going to tell a clerk at the grocery store, God bless you. Yeah. And they're going to look at you strangely. That's okay, because after about 10 or 12 of those, they're going to realize they need help. You know, they just, they need help. I was in the grocery store recently, and a a lady in front of me, she was frazzled because the lady doing the checkout just wouldn't give her any room. She had these coupons. You've got husband who's packing the groceries. There's kids, but they've been in the grocery store a while because they've got a couple hundred bucks worth of groceries. They're packing. You know, it's a family. And she wants to get these discounts, and it's not going through. And she goes, just forget it. She gets ticked. Well, then I get up there, and, and so then the clerk says to me, well, I, I can't just be giving this stuff away. You know, I can just, hey, don't, I, I'm a new customer. I, that was them. I, 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 so she says, hey, you know, this yogurt was only a dollar. Just get over it. I go, I'm over it. It's not my yogurt. And so you know what I did? I said, um, can I have that yogurt? She slams it down. And, and then uh, she goes, and uh, this is another part of it too. You know those little dividers? I love those, don't you? So I didn't put one down because they're already checked out. Well, the lady behind me uh, picks up a divider. I have my stuff, and she taps me on the shoulder with the divider, and she hands me this divider like it's a baton. I'm running in a relay race. And I set it down. And it was very stressful up front, you know, because they're just, they're fighting over 12 cents off of canned peaches. It's not worth it. It's not worth the ulcer. And so I, I get this baton in my hand, and I set it down, and I go, 
And I look right at the checkout lady and go, I've always wanted one of these. And I laid it down. She goes, those are the stores, and this is the way we divide it. I'm, I'm just trying to lighten the mood here, lady. Just trying to take a pill, please. I don't know. And that was my moment. That was my moment. And I decided then I could turn her in, get her fired. That's not going to help. Now I'll have to pay her unemployment, you know, right? Why would I want to do that? Uh, instead, I'm just going to try to lighten her day. So I said, can I, can I that? And um, so she plops down, she checks it out and charges me because I don't have the coupon. I'd pay full price. I don't have the coupon. The coupon went out the door when that lady left, you know. So I, I pay for it. And I said, I, I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm sure she means well. She's been in the store probably a long time and the kids are fussy. I got kids. I know what that's like. And, and um, they're trying to make it on their budget. I'm sure that's part. But so you have a good day. Let that go. Have a good day. Well, then I, I walk out to the lot and I go, I got, I got to find them now. You know, because they're, they're out in the parking lot. Sun's going down. And um, so I, I have some stuff that they didn't buy that I'm going to give them. But I got distracted because when I got to the door, there were these girls selling those cookies. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So I, I got to be kind to them because you, 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 they're, they're benevolent. I mean, if, if I don't buy these cookies, these kids are, are going to have to, they're going to be deported. I don't know what's going to happen. They're going to go away. But they're, hey, would you like to buy some cookies? I said, I said I, I'll buy a box. And what they don't know is I like the mint cookies. So I go, I need the mint cookies. And what that's code for is I ate all the mint cookies and I need to replace the box that I ate all of the mint cookies. And I need to get this done before anybody finds out. So anyway, so they go, well, we're all out of mint. I go, oh, gum it. Okay, what else you got? Something to, and I go, can I just get a box that looks, do you have the green box? I'll just buy the box. I need the, I should have kept the old box. I could put tagalongs in my mint box. I just, I just need to have something in there or someone's going to know that someone ate all the cookies. And you know, when we had more kids in the house, there was more blame to go around. <laughs> and I'm feeling the hurt on it right now. And so anyway, so I buy some cookies and then I look up and realize, oh no, they're gone and I'm stuck with this food now. And then I, oh, in a moment I see them and they're just finishing loading and I walk by and I hand them this bag of food and I, and uh, she said, what's this? And the, the husband's loading the stuff and he's, he knows what it is. And she said, what's this? And I said, um, have a good day. God bless you. That's it. Right there. That's all. Because I'm in a parking lot. If I do anything more, it's going to look like a mugging, you know. Yeah. Hi, right, how you doing? How much you want for that truck? And I go away, you're a creeper. You know, you just have to keep walking uh, and enjoy a little bit of boundary in a parking lot. And the husband smiled. And, you know what? It it you, you don't know what your moment is going to be. I remember First uh, Peter, be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's within you. Um, one of the Girl Scouts had a shirt on, a sweatshirt on. They had the name of a church. And she had a little scout thing on, too. Had, you know, they had all that scout stuff. But then I could see this church thing. I go, oh, do you go to such a church? She goes, how'd you know? <laughs> and the mom goes, it's on your shirt, honey. 
And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you need more mint cookies is what you need, yes. And I said, uh, I didn't say this for her benefit, I said it for the benefit of the others. I said, that's a great church. And she said, oh, we love it there. You know what I was doing? Was telling the other kids, you could go with her. So I understand how that works? I'm not actually talking to her. I'm actually talking to them. But I'm looking at her, going, that's a great church. And then I said, I, I know the worship leader there. Um, and oh, You do? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, enjoy your Sunday. Tell everybody there I said hi. They don't know who I am, where I came from. They just know I'm a guy with tagalongs looking for mint cookie box right now. You don't know the moment you're going to get to, to make the witness. Okay? So you got to ask the Lord, give me these moments. But if you're looking for them, you will find them. A number of years ago, we were looking for a car. And um, actually, I was looking for a, a car for my mom. It was a Toyota something. And, and all of a sudden, because we were looking for that car, that's all we saw. Have you ever had this happen? You just see Okay, if you'll ask God, God, give me opportunities to tell my story, you'll find them. They'll just happen. If you'll, and, and for me, it was, it was, that's a great church. And for another, it was like, God bless you. Have a great day. And, and then to the clerk, the lady, let it go. I wasn't even sure I wanted to use the word Jesus because she'd look at me as a freak. You know, just whew, breathe deeply, take a nitro pill. You'll be fine. But find a way to, to tell your story, and that story may be just a sentence, it may be a paragraph. Rarely does it happen, but sometimes it does. It happens that you get to tell the whole story of how you came to Jesus, and you need to be ready to do that, a three-minute version of it. Well, these new believers, they tell their story, and the first believers trusted in Christ. They believed in Jesus, and when they went from village to village around Jerusalem, they're telling their story, and the story goes to the next village and the next village that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. And they do this at great risk, by the way, because this is the adversarial. This could be viewed as, these people could be viewed as somehow insurrectionists against Israel or against the Roman Empire, which was the forced occupation of the time. And, and they knew that Jesus had performed miracles. They knew that he had done some they'd heard the stories of him feeding thousands of people on a hillside but but all of this happened within their walking distance of where they lived so when they are telling the stories of Jesus people have heard these stories from other people and they're collaborating these stories and now they realize these people really believe this and he really did rise from the dead there's too many people who tell the story and there's no crack in the story this is what it is and so 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus. So there's baptisms going on. Hearts are melting. People are sharing their goods. And lives are radically changed. So the town really is revolutionized, if you will. And this is what you call the church. It is a movement of God. Do you get this? It's, it's when we sing, uh, do it again. You move mountains. And I know you can. I know if I... I trust you for the impossibles of my life, Lord. The attitude of the people in my work cubicle. God, help me to be the shining light there. And I know you can change the light. You can change the, the atmosphere of that room. You parted waters in the Old Testament. You raised the dead with Jesus. You gave sight to the blind. Certainly you could change the sourness of my office complex to something better. And help me to be part of that. That's the kind of prayer 
we can and should be praying. This is a movement of God as we tell our story. When people ask, that's the story. Why are you so optimistic? Why can you make light of even a mildly hostile situation? Why can you do that? Because I know who's really in control here. And I know the Lord God of heaven, when the game is over, Jesus wins. I know that. I've read the last chapter, so I don't have to worry about the outcome of the game. And here's the deal with the first century Christians. These assemblies, these congregations, three things describe them. One is that there's brand new believers in faith. They encourage each other as brand new believers. That's one. The second is there's unbelievers in that crowd. There's people that aren't there yet. They're curious, but they're not committed to Jesus. They're curious. They're listening to the stories of Jesus, but they aren't there yet. And you know how I know that they're going to there's unbelievers in the room, is because every time that they would preach this and every time they would assemble, someone would come to faith. So that means they weren't of faith earlier. So the church is really for believers, but really for unbelievers as well. And there's a third group, and this is the group that doesn't belong. And, 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 and doesn't belong. It, it's, it's that there, there's none there in that group, and it's that there's no one that's mature. Nobody in the group is mature. How do I know that? Because they've only been believing for a few days, a few weeks. So nobody knows the whole of the Old Testament and, and the types of Jesus throughout the ages and what it's going to happen, and they don't have all the detail down. And one of the hesitations that you and I have about telling our own story and praying big prayers is we just say, well, we don't know enough. And these, things, these guys knew nothing except Jesus, who performed some miracles, he died, he rose again. That's pretty much all they knew. And, and so that begs the question, were there really pre-Christians there? And the answer, is the church for believers? Is the church for unbelievers? And the answer is yes. He's for both. And why do I know that? Because God loves them all, and Jesus died for them all, and Jesus wants all of them to follow in faith. Okay? So when people say, oh no, you can't come, not till you get your life cleaned up, they don't then that wasn't the case for the New Testament church. That wasn't the book of Acts. They just came in and listened. And some bought in and some didn't. And others bought in slowly. And some bought in in stages as you read through the book of Acts. And Jesus wants all people, this is a Jesus agenda movement, so there's no carding people at the door. Hope you get that. There's no carding people at the door. You can come, you can't, you can come, you can't. From day one, they ministered to believers while reaching unbelievers. Now, the main objection to that is when people say to me, oh, but pastor, we need you to go deep and we need you to minister to the saints and care for us. And, I, and that's the same thing that you're going to hear when two kids find out mommy's pregnant with a third. Will you love us anymore? Right? And those of you who've had three children know that that happens. When the third one comes, we're not sure... And that's that insecurity. And the answer to that is, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to love you all the same. And, and, and by the way, if I, if I preach a Bible message, what does Jesus say about worry? Is that a good message for the believer? Yes or no? Yeah, that's a good message. I was hoping the answer would be stronger than that. If, if I preach a message about what does Jesus say about worry, is that a good message for the believer? Yes, it is. Is that a good message for the unbeliever? Yes. If I talk about what does the Bible say about the family and about relationships in general, is that a good message for the believer? 
Yes. Is that a good message for the unbeliever? Absolutely, yes. And, and if I preach a message on forgiveness, on uh, anything, anything, it's going to add some light to the believer's eyes. It's going to be glaringly bright to the unbeliever. It's going to be amazingly revolutionary to the unbeliever. And this is what happens. This has happened to me more than once. But it happened to me here a number of years ago. I got done with the Bible message. I walked off stage. As is my custom, I stand at the front. Anybody has a question or they need to pray. And we have a prayer corner. And you can always come over to pray. But sometimes I, people just want to pray with me. I, hey, great. So I stand right here. And this guy walks up and goes, Pastor Dave. Like that. Yep, that would be me. That sermon was for me. Okay, good. No, you don't understand. That was my week. You described my week. It's like you were in my back pocket. You told my story. That was exactly, you preached to no one else but me. It's like you know me. You know why I responded? And what's your name? Do you know why I could do that? I did not know the guy. But here's what I do know. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It it knows him. It knows me. It cuts me. It's a double-edged sword. It knows between soul and spirit, so the stuff I can't even separate in my own life. It knows me so well. So it is good for the believer to hear the good news of Jesus. It's also good for the unbeliever to hear the good news. And that is the wonder of worship. I, I love the writings of Ed Stetzer. If you ever pick up any books by Ed Stetzer, uh, Ed is... Uh, a sitting prophet at Wheaton College. He's also the chair of the Billy Graham Center, which is at Wheaton, outside Chicago. Uh, Ed Stetzer is a, um, a best-selling author. He's a, just a godly man, good guy. But he wrote a number of years ago a, an excellent article entitled Hospitals, Not Country Clubs. Churches without the broken are broken churches. That's the title. That was a heavy title. In the article, he says, the church is a hospital, not a country club. It's not going to be carded. Anybody's welcome, and we'll help anybody. And if you don't have broken people in your assembly, then you are broken. You got the whole idea of the article in this title. Um, the church will always be open to messy lives, whatever the stage. And I meet people all the time who say, yeah, when I get my act together, I'm going to come to church. <laughs> I'm going, oh my gosh, number one, don't wait that long because it's hard to get your act together. Number two, when you show up at church, no one else there has their act together either. I happen to know because I go all the time and I'm still in recovery, just for me. Forget everybody else. So a great question for your small group this week is, who am I befriending who needs Jesus, whose life is a mess? Who could I pray for boldly? That'd be the prayer. That'd be the question. Because Jesus, when he started his public ministry, Luke 4, I love this passage. He walks into the temple. He sits down with the old guys. He rolls out a scroll, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He starts to quote Isaiah and read from it, because he's anointed me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom of the, of the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. You're going to hear the Lord's favor. And he rolls it back up, and he goes, That's being fulfilled today. Oh, oh my. That's what he came for. He didn't come for the people who look perfect or who act perfectly, who've gotten their act cleaned up. No. So 
leading us, all of that leads us to understand something about the church. The church is for Christians. It is also for pre-Christians. But what it is not for, it's not for pretenders. It's not for the perfect. If you find a perfect church, don't, this is, I know it's corny, but if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Think about that. But people who pretend to be perfect are putting on the show. Okay? The Lord really frowns on that. This is the safe place to be who you are. And the Lord loves you and accepts you as you are and brings you to where you need to be. He doesn't keep you where you are. He, He helps you become what you can be. So here's the problem, though. The problem is this. The gravitational pull of groups of people, of assemblies, of churches, the gravitational pull is always inward. We always circle inward. We even talk about this with our greeters because we enjoy the fellowship with even greeters, and what happens is we're supposed to be greeting people, but we start to talk to each other, and the next thing you know, we've circled up, and we've actually put our back to the people we're supposed to be greeting. That's why you have to, uh, that's why you have to always make sure you turn yourself outward, because the gravitational pull is always inward. It's always towards me. It's rarely towards others, and so we have to be intentional, because it, it may come out in a subtle form like this. I just don't feel like my needs are being met, or I just need more care. Or if people drop out of church or they skip from one church to another, they say, well, I just don't feel fed. And really what it is is he's not stroking me the way I want. He he doesn't attend to my personal needs. And the reason that we don't attend to personal needs is because we are not a concierge service. We are here to proclaim the news that is for you, but it's bigger than you. It's for all of us. It is that Jesus died and he rose, and you can have new life in him. And if you get that, what you're going to find is you're going to be happy because you're going to see life change in other people, but you'll get to be a part of it as well, and you'll see life change in yourself. Um, that gravitational pull, we're, no one's immune to that, including us, and we do a pretty good job at helping people who are less than perfect. But... But the, the major indicator of whether a church is focused outward or inward, the major indicator, and I'm borrowing some words from Andy Stanley, who, by the way, he's written some great material on this. He says, one of the ways you can really tell whether a church is outwardly focused or inwardly is, is listen to their prayers. Because if their prayers are all about me or just about us, so it's all about me or just about my circle of friends or just about my church, Or is it about the whole world? Think about it just for a moment. But but if you were to listen to our prayers, here we go. God, I want to be married. God, I don't want to be married anymore. Uh, God, I want my face to clear up by Friday night for the weekend. God, I need a job. God, I hate my job. I want to change my, I want my neighbors to change. Could you give me new neighbors, new coworkers, new family? I want to trade them back in. Uh, those are all legitimate prayers. You may have prayed somewhere in your life, but that, if that is the diet of your prayer, it's all about me, all about my, all about my world, which is actually pretty small. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about those things, but if all of your prayer is all about you and then a couple other sick people out there, your, your world is this big, folks, this big. Selfish prayers. I, have you heard this before? 
God, help me have a good day. <laughs> what does that mean? Maybe God's going to make the day tough on you to grow your faith. Ah, not that good, Lord. Just sort of good. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or God, I've had this before. People walk up to me after church and go, would you pray that my son wins the soccer tournament? Well, you're asking me to pray that somebody else's son loses. Uh, I don't know. We pray uh, prayers like this. Um, and I'm not even sure you need the Lord half the time on these, and I'm not discounting prayer at this point. But, but oh God, give me a safe trip. And God's yelling, drive safely. Be a better driver, pay attention. Or um, help me have a good night of sleep. And God's saying, how about lay off the caffeine after 6 p.m.? Or God, help me pass this test. How about if you study? <laughs> and you know what? We can take those requests to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with those. But we have to partner with him. And some of these things we can pray for, but that shouldn't be the full diet of our prayers. And those are not miracle-working, mountain-moving kinds of prayers. Those are good prayers. Nothing wrong with them. But they're all about our own little world. Does that make sense? I'm giving you an draw your own little circles but at the middle of this universe is you it's me and if all of our prayers are right there that's a pretty small world but but if they're just about me and then go the next circle out about us so me in the middle us further out so that's my church or the churches in general or I only pray for the people I know whatever that is it's still pretty small this is way out of proportion because if we were to do this, that dot would be you. It would be really tiny. And the next circle out would barely be able to see because then the next is the, the third one out, which is the world that Jesus loves, which is absolutely phenomenally large. Okay? And if we prayed in that kind of scope, we, before you send the hate mail, these prayers about you are good. Nothing wrong with them. These prayers about us, fine but what about the bigger picture of what God is doing in the greater picture for his glory what if we prayed those mountain moving kinds of prayers so when you pray here's what I'm going to challenge you to do cast all your cares upon him first Peter why because he does care for you your world take it to the Lord um, don't don't burden yourself instead make sure you talk to the Lord in prayer and, and those are good things to do but don't stop there. Care for what he cares about. Go beyond your world. So detox yourself. Someone once put it this way. Uh, uh, what if all I had tomorrow was what I was thankful for today? Uh, that would be a great revealing prayer, wouldn't it? It really would. And what if I prayed... Dear God in heaven, <clears throat> may your kingdom come. May whatever it is you're doing in your larger kingdom, that's the Lord's prayer, may your will be done. What if we prayed the larger prayers? Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> the priests and the captain of the temple guard and Sadducees, they're going to come up to Peter and John, and they're talking to the people. And they're disturbed because the apostles are teaching the people and proclaiming them that Jesus he rose from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what do they do? They seize Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail. So they locked these guys up overnight. 
Now, if that happened to you and me, we'd be ticked. We would be honked off. We'd be screaming our rights, calling for our attorney. How do I know? I just know us. We're very personal rights driven. And so they seize him, they throw him in jail overnight. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of those who believed grew to about 5,000. 5,000. So now you have to say to yourself, okay, it cost me a night in jail, but, but there's 5,000 people who've heard and now trusted Jesus. People are coming to Christ. The leaders of the town don't like it, so they try to slow it down. They, they're not impressed. They're, they don't like the fact they're losing control. So they throw these guys in jail. And if this were left up to you and me, I, I kind of have an idea what we would do. Number one, we'd say, let's put a security detail around Peter and John. <laughs> let's put some guards up. And by the way, they can never go out and preach together because we can't lose them. We already, lose, we already lost Jesus. We can't afford to lose Peter and John. They're the next in line. We, we can't keep losing leaders here. So we've got to protect them. And um, maybe we need some guards. Maybe we need to have them travel separately. But when they preach, what I want them to do is I want them to preach just... Have them preach about love or about uh, Moses was good and David was good. Ruth was beautiful. I mean, those are nice stories, safe stories. Don't talk so much about Jesus and don't use the R word, resurrection, because we're thinking that's probably what's ticking them off. But that's not what Peter and John do. When they're told, you shut up, we're going to let you out, but you guys be quiet how do they respond? Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. You've got to believe in Jesus, guys, for there's no other name in heaven that's given to mankind which, how you can be saved. They aren't backing down. What are they doing? They're, they're very, very bold in their action and in their prayer. And on their release, verse 23, by the way, <clears throat> while they're preaching, they, a guy gets healed. And here's the problem. They go to court. It's kind of funny if you think about it. They're accusing these guys. You guys are turning upside down the city. We hate this. But, they, but there's a guy standing watching. And the problem is he's standing. This is the lame guy from in town. And they know this is the guy that got healed. You cannot deny this. So they know these guys are the real deal. Go back to verse 23 now. So they release Peter and John back to their own. They reported to the chief priests and the elders who had been said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Get this. What's the first thing they do? They go back to their people and they say, we need to pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. So they, they put God in his rightful place. God, you're in charge. It's like your kingdom come, right? Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. If you and I were threatened, we would get on our bicycles and ride home, right? We would go into hiding. It, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with, what's it say, class? With great boldness. With what, class? With great boldness. Oh, my word, you've got to be kidding. We thought this thing was going to go underground. No, it's not. They're actually going to buck it. So stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name. In other words, do what only you can do, God. Do the wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If anything good comes of this, we're going to give it all to Jesus. And they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. This is how much they prayed. And the place was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Got it. 
you almighty God, you can do anything you want. And we know that, that we could run away, but we don't want to run away. What we want to do, and this is our prayer, God, that we be bold. They, they just got out of jail, folks. So how was your night? How was the, how was the grub? I heard there's rats there. Oh, yeah, but you know what? We're asking God to make us bold. This is crazy great. Who does this? But you know what we would do? I'm afraid, 21st century Christians. You know what we would pray? Oh, God, a terrible injustice has been done to us. My feelings are hurt. I'm scared. I'm going to run home, hide under the bed. Protect me, help me, bless me, keep me. Don't let anything bad happen to me. Help me to grow old and die on a Wednesday so the funeral can be on Friday so my friends can have a three-day weekend. <laughs> That's not how they prayed. They prayed, God, help us to stand. Help us to stand and to stand with confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. Not with weirdness. You don't have to pray, oh God, make me weird. God goes, I already answered that prayer. That's, that's done. You were weird before you got me, before you got Jesus. They asked the God for a holy kind of boldness. And, and when, we, when we stop praying for boldness, you know what's going to happen? We'll pray for safety, security, calmness. We'll turn back inward. And we'll take care of our own and we'll others won't matter because it's more about us like the guy who prayed oh god bless me my wife bob his wife us four no more that's a really small circle folks so my challenge to you is this when's the last time you prayed for boldness that your heart will be tuned to see it and see the opportunity and you'll you'll run for it you'll be the witness you'll tell your story and you'll do it with a holy kind of confidence, a boldness. <clears throat> I used to have a prayer partner who we would walk uh, along a river, a river walk, and pray, do a prayer walk, and bikes would come by us, and people would jog past us. We'd be praying for the city. And um, when we would get done, we'd hop back in our cars at the end of the prayer walk. And I, I can't forget it, it won't ever leave me. He would look at me and point at me, and he'd say, because he'd, he'd know we were getting ready to preach. He's preaching at his church, I'm preaching at mine. And he'd point to me, and he'd go, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. You know what the problem is? Pastors could be afraid of the people, and if they're afraid of the people, they will not be bold. And if you're afraid of the people you witness to, you will not be bold. So don't be afraid of them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Have a holy kind of confidence. Now, the same thing would happen again. The same thing, and if you turn the page to chapter 5, um, and it, it kind of ramps up again. And um, the guys get under pressure, and there's one guy, his name's Gamaliel, which is a great name of a guy. This guy says, don't kill them, because if, if, they're, if they're from the Lord, you're not going to be able to stop them, and if they're not from the Lord, the insurrection is going to die out. So don't kill them, just let them go. And I love Gamaliel. He shows up in the text in chapter 5. Pick up at verse 40. So he persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. We read right past that, but they had them flogged. 
and you and I would read this like it's words on a page because that's what we're reading, but we have to enter into it. And the only way I know to do that is to go back a number of years ago, a movie called The Passion. Remember when this came out? And that was the first time in my lifetime that I actually saw an actual flogging. And it's leather straps in a whip form, but then the leather has bits of metal attached to it. So when they'd whip it into the guy's back, they'd pull it and, and puncture his back and wound the guy. And every, every whip took off a chunk of skin. And then these guys got thrown to the streets and, and so they're flogged, and then they're ordered then, don't you dare speak of the name of Jesus. And then, then they just pushed them out into the streets wounded. And keep reading. These guys went home, and the apostles left the Sanhedrin. What's the next word? Rejoicing. Oh my gosh. They're bleeding. Their shirts are torn off. Their, their bruises are ripped up. And they're rejoicing that they've been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. You get this, every day, the rest of their lives, when they pull a shirt on or off, they're going to feel it. Every day, they're going to see it. They're going to be reminded that they had the stuffings beat out of them. Every time they go to take a, a dip in the lake and just to wash off, they're going to be reminded. Every time they load something on their shoulder or their back, and that'd be a common way to carry things in that day, they would feel the wounds that would never fully heal. Every time someone would walk up and give them a hug, they would cringe with the pain of knowing that this still hurts. And they, what's it say in verse 41? They are rejoicing. You can only do this if your DNA is immersed in a prayer that says, I am going to have boldness about my prayer life, so I tell my story well. So, the point, big prayers. That's the big idea. Big prayers for holy boldness with a spirit of joy that stays on message. Because when they got done, they left there. Do you know, did they stop teaching Jesus? No, they did not. They would go to their graves because they were so convinced of it. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So here's my challenge to you this week. Number one, tell your story. Tell it in a sentence, in a word, or do it in an explanation. Tell your story. Be the witness. Number two, pray boldly. Pray beyond your little circle. Pray the next circle out. If you're praying that circle, pray the next one out. That you would, you would tell your story and do it without being ashamed, without being embarrassed, or without any hesitation. Even though you don't, you don't have all the answers. It's okay. It's like the blind guy who says this. Look, people, I don't know. All I know is this. I heard that voice, and that's the guy. I know it by that voice because I was a blind guy. All I know is once I was blind, and what I know now, I can see. I can see. Let's bow together for prayer. Would you stand with me as we pray? Gracious Father in heaven, you have been kind and patient with us, and you work with us through our own stuff. In our own mess, you picked us up like sheep who'd gone astray and been caught in the thickets, the Old Testament picture. 
and you pulled us out and you pulled us into your pen. You are the great shepherd for our souls. So make us bold in our affection toward you, bold in our prayers, bold in our dreams, bold in our actions, bold in our words for your dear son, I pray. And may we be the people who tell the story of the wonder of Jesus in our lives this week and every week. In the name of Christ, our risen Lord, and the church would agree and say, amen.